Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. Russia has successfully influenced the election here in the United States. Its side is winning the war in Syria, Crimea looks like it will remain in Russia for the foreseeable future, and the NATO alliance may soon become weakened when Donald Trump takes office. So this is pretty much springtime for Putin in Moscow. But what are Russia's grander ambitions? Why did they hack the U.S. election? What do they want from the Middle East, from Europe and China? I put these questions and more to James Goldgeier, a Russia expert and dean of the School of International Studies at American University. James describes some of Putin's near-term and longer-term strategic goals and how a less contentious relationship with the USA, one based not on values but on individual transactions, may reshape Russian foreign policy and international affairs more broadly. This is a great episode, and I should say that the suggestion for this topic came from one of our premium subscribers to this show. She reached out to me, suggested the topic. I found a great interlocutor in James Goldgeier, and here we are. This, my friends, is how it's supposed to work. If you have suggestions for me or want to support the show, please go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and let me know what is on your mind. And now here is... Dean James Goldgeier of American University. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We're seeing Russian activity throughout the West in terms of election disruption. We've seen it throughout Europe. We saw it now in the United States. Uh, I think this is all part of an effort by Putin to find an area where he can push back against the West, having been uh, frustrated for many years that he felt that the West was ignoring Russia's interests and was doing things that he thought uh, was undermining Russia. And he has found a way to push back. He's been able to to use fake news, to hack, to to really generate uh, a lot of disruption across Europe and now in the United States. And he had a particular beef with Hillary Clinton because he felt that in parliamentary elections back in during when she was Secretary of State, uh, that she had stoked the opposition, and he felt that. Uh, she was trying to bring him down. Uh, and I think he looked at this as a way to get her back and was also concerned that she would take a more, uh, a tougher line on Russia if she were president, given that Donald Trump had talked in such glowing terms about President Putin 
uh, it seemed that maybe Trump would be a better bet for him coming in as president. So most proximately, what would Russia hope to see in, in return? Was it, is it something like, a, like an easing of, of sanctions? Is that their sort of most immediate goal that the sort of the sanctions imposed by Europe and the United States would be, you know, eased if more friendly governments come to power in places like the United States or, or perhaps France, even, you know, Germany, which has elections forthcoming? Yes, absolutely. Uh, easing of sanctions uh, would be great from the Russian perspective. But I think it's bigger than that. Uh, if we look at the past 25 years, we're about to come upon the 25th anniversary of the collapse of the Soviet Union, something that President Putin earlier called the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century, which given some of the catastrophes of the 20th century is a pretty, pretty big statement to make. And you know, he has looked at the years after the end of the Cold War as years first in the 90s in which Russia uh, was chaotic, uh, efforts to transition to democracy was were difficult, the economy was in shambles. He came to power in the year 2000 and vowed to bring Russia back as a great power, uh, saw the West as trying to to promote its own version of the international order based on democracy and the rule of law and respect for human rights. And he's looked for ways to push back against it. And uh, we saw in Ukraine that, as with Georgia in 2008, he basically said, you know, you're not pushing your Western order any further. And he went into Ukraine, he seized Crimea, he's uh, supported separatists, he then went into Syria to prop up the government of Bashar al-Assad, and he sees those as his interests, uh, controlling Ukraine, uh, maintaining Russia's influence in Syria. He wants that respected. He wants, to, he wants to see the United States accept his definition of what Russia's interests are, and he thinks that Donald Trump can deliver on that, and from everything Donald Trump has said, uh, he may well do so. And so how far west, say, do Russian interests, as as Putin defines them, I I exist? I mean, is, is Crimea where this sort of land grab or or the expansion of, of interests will, will stop? Or are there other countries in the former Soviet Union that might sort of be similarly gobbled up? Well, I think you know, he's been very clear that he sees the countries of the former Soviet Union, if you take out the Baltics, which, uh, you know, have really been in a different category all along, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, because the United States never accepted their inclusion in the Soviet Union. But if you look at all the others, he's, he sees those as Russia's privileged sphere of influence, Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, Central Asia. He doesn't want the United States involved. Um, and he wants to be able to control that space. Uh, the, the Baltic countries and Poland have been nervous after Ukraine that they wanted NATO to make a strong stand, the United States to take a strong stand, that, to reassure those countries of their security. And I think in a traditional sense, uh, the United States and NATO to date have been able to do so. But we have two things going on that create a lot of uncertainty. One is the effort that Putin has made not to grab Western European territory, but to disrupt elections and to try to support 
candidates uh, that he thinks will be more aligned with his interests. And uh, we've been seeing that in France. We're going to see that in Germany during this coming year, uh, as both of those countries have elections. And then there's the question of NATO and its security guarantee. That's always been something the United States has never wavered on, uh, that it has stated that if you're, in a, if you're a member of NATO, you will be protected. Uh, and Donald Trump sent conflicting signals during the campaign, suggested that that, you know, that might be up for discussion. Uh, and that would produce tremendous uncertainty that Putin would be able to take advantage of as countries try to figure out whether they have a guarantee of their security from the United States or not. And, and how might uh, Russia take advantage of, of that uncertainty? Well, I think as countries are thinking, do they have a guarantee or not? If they're worried they don't, then they have to think about what that means for them and whether they need to create a different relationship with Russia. Maybe they will need to accommodate Russia. Uh, they will need to cut their own deals with Russia. To date, the countries of NATO and the EU with the United States have been strong in the sanctions, for example. Uh, that if, if the United States is wavering on sanctions and thinks they should be lifted, well, there's no reason for the Europeans to continue to take a tough line. Uh, France uh, has wavered for a while, uh, but recently stood firm with Germany to call for an extension. But again, without the United States leadership, th these countries, there's really no reason for them to stick their necks out. Uh, they're, they're not that strong. They're a lot closer to Russia. And uh, we may well see them trying to cut their own deals uh, for their own future that doesn't include the United States. So, so then is this all most proximately Russia's play to reduce or ease or eliminate those, those sanctions? Like how painful are those sanctions? Well, they're, they're painful and, and, you know, the Russian economy has struggled and also they're painful to, for the people around Putin uh, who've been sanctioned. So uh, I think, you know, he, he does want those sanctions lifted, but Again, it, it's really bigger than that. The United States for 70 years has promoted the idea of an international order based on democracy, markets, and the rule of law, protection for human rights. And even when the United States violated its own norms, and you know, people have certainly accused the United States of being hypocritical, all that's true, but it still stood firm that this was an idea that it should promote, and it certainly has done so globally since the end of the Cold War. And Putin is pushing back against that order. He doesn't want an international order based on democracy and the rule of law and protection of human rights. He wants his privileged sphere of influence recognized. He doesn't want interference in other countries' affairs. And he has an enormous opportunity now. I, I think he probably can't even believe what a great opportunity he has now with the election of Donald Trump, who, unlike every Democratic and Republican president previously since World War II, has not expressed support for that type of international order. It's really extraordinary. Uh, so what then does like a Russian foreign policy unbound look like? How does it, it manifest itself? Say it is successful in the ways you describe by um, influencing uh, elections in, say, Germany and, and France, and you have a much more... Um, uh, less confrontational, um, you know, stance towards the, from the United States. What what does Russian foreign policy sort of around the world look like in in that situation? 
Well, I think what you'll see if 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 President-elect Trump, in fact, does go forward with a, a more transactional foreign policy, which, again, it's not based on sort of these values of democracy and human rights and rule of law, but really more on, you know, what can I do for you? What can you do for me? It's all about cutting deals. Uh, that would be very comfortable for Putin. Putin would be very happy to have a, a foreign policy, uh, a relationship with the United States that's all based on deal making. When there are things that we can do that are in our interests, uh, we can pursue those. Uh, otherwise, leave each other alone. Uh, again, uh, have a United States that recognizes Russia's privileged sphere of influence, which they've long wanted, accepted in the former Soviet space. Uh, you know, it throws countries like Ukraine and Georgia under the bus. But, you know, based on what we know from what President-elect Trump has said, that doesn't seem to be too big a concern. So I think it really will just look like it'll look very transactional. It's basically, uh, you know, get the West off my back type of approach. Uh, and let's just cut the deals we need to cut and uh, go out there and fight ISIS together. And, you know, he'll look for the same type of relationship with China. So it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're going to see huge Russian military involvement elsewhere, but I think you'll see a more self-confident Russia, one that no longer believes the United States is out to get it, no longer believes the United States is out to uh, overthrow Putin uh, and, uh, you know, could well become normalized. The problem is U.S. and Russian interests don't always align. There are differences. These are very different countries, very different positions. So I think there's bound to be disappointment on both sides. But, um, you know, we could see an, an, an immediate thaw, short-term thaw, uh, even if things uh, go south later. So, so a couple of questions based on what you just said. First, you know, if the threat from the United States is no longer kind of like the raison d'etre of, of Putin, um, what becomes his new sort of myth that sustains him in, in sort of the, the, the long term and the near term? Well, if you, you know, see the kinds of things that are being said by nationalists in Europe or what we've been calling the alt-right in the United States, you sort of see this alliance of people who believe it's time for, uh, you know, sort of white Christian nationalists to unite against the threat of, you know, from people of color uh, and uh, certainly uh Muslims. And I think I would really expect that what Putin and, and other dictators, uh, you can imagine President Sisi in Egypt and others, will be saying to Donald Trump is, look, we have a common threat in ISIS. We're going to go out there and fight ISIS together with you. We're going to stand up for, you know, these um, Christian values and uh, let's go out and fight the Muslims together. Uh, and based on what we've seen from Donald Trump in his presidential campaign, that seems like an argument that uh, will curry favor with him. I don't know that it's going to really help with ISIS. Uh, it may help ISIS recruit more, but um, but I think that's what we're going to see. Um, so it seems the one possible point of conflict uh, may be Iran, uh, where you know, Russia did go along with, with the United States's um, led diplomacy on the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, they, they voted for, they were part of the negotiations from the beginning and, and they, you know, affirmed the deal in a vote in the Security Council. But now you have, um, you know, 
President-elect Trump coming in, you know, potentially wanting to renegotiate the deal or or do something different with the deal, while the United States Congress may reimpose sanctions that could undermine the deal. Um, how do you sort of square, you know, Donald Trump's Russia-philia with a potential more hostile approach to, to Iran? Yeah, I don't really think that Donald Trump can uh, get rid of the Iran deal or try to renegotiate the Iran deal. I, I think he's stuck with the Iran deal. And uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one, as you just said, I mean, in terms of a relationship with Russia, uh, Russia does support the Iran deal. They're not going to want to reopen that. Uh, and the Europeans aren't going to want to reopen it either. So the United States would be totally isolated. Uh, we're ratcheting up sanctions again on Iran. It's only going to hurt the United States. And uh, really, the United States is is just doesn't have a lot of room to maneuver if it wants to do something different. Uh, and then you also have uh, the situation that if uh, Donald Trump wants to create a different dynamic in Syria uh, and uh, basically support the Assad regime uh, the way Russia and Iran have, uh, then he's going to need to work with both Russia and Iran. So I, I don't really see, despite the, the Republican Party's opposition to that deal and the things that Donald Trump said during the campaign, I, I don't really see that he's got a lot of room to maneuver. And so uh, I think uh, he's going to have to accept that deal. And and it seems, you know, at, at least at time that that we're speaking, there have not been too many high profile appointments. Uh, you know, people like John Bolton so far have been kept out of the administration that might want to, you know, take that harder line. Yeah, and I I I think also again, I think it's going to be all ISIS all the time. I think that uh, that those countries uh, that are willing to try to combat ISIS uh, are, uh, you know, and that includes Iran. I mean, this, you know, I think they're going to be some very interesting and unusual potential alliances uh, that we will see and, and a lot of difference. And uh, I think that the United States has created a lot of uncertainty with respect to its support for traditional American allies like the Europeans and Japan and South Korea. I think we could well see an effort by the United States to reach out to countries that uh, that it has not been allied with or seen as partners or uh, has been skeptical of, and Russia first and foremost, uh, as it really uh, looks at, particularly with General Flynn as national security advisor, and with Donald Trump as president, a policy that says the Obama administration hasn't done enough on ISIS, we're going to really ratchet up this campaign and we're really going to go out and, and do something about ISIS. And since we don't know what their plan is, uh, we don't know whether it's going to work, but I think that's going to be the emphasis. Now, do you suppose that may give Russia the pretext it needs to pursue more expansionist policies in like the, the Caucasus or, or, um, you know, even farther West and in, in, you know, parts of the former Soviet Union, like Kazakhstan, uh, where it already has sort of been kind of like meddling in, in local elections. Well, I don't think Russia needs to do anything militarily in terms of territory, the way it did with Crimea. Uh, again, I think the main thing is Russia wants to maintain control over these countries and over what their foreign policies are. I think Putin will feel greater license to go after any internal threats that he sees uh, and basically put it in the broader 
uh, category of this fight against terror. I think he'll have a lot more leeway to crack down internally. Uh, so I would expect him to feel like he's got a free hand at home uh, with Donald Trump as president. He's not going to get criticism of any human rights violations. So uh, he'll be in a pretty good position going forward. I'm sure he's uh, greatly looking forward to it. So one interesting thing I'm looking forward to, or not looking forward to, but 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 sort of am expecting to be uh, an interesting wrinkle of, of sort of the, the Trump era is how dynamics at the Security Council change. I mean, I, I sort of spend my day writing about the UN and, and kind of studying the UN. And, you know, historically, typically, Russia and China band together to oppose efforts proposed by the EU, by the, the P3, the United States, the United Kingdom and France. Um, and I, I wonder if sort of a, a growing alliance between the United States and Russia may serve to isolate China in, in any way and what and how, you know, Russian policy towards China may be sort of affected in, in the coming years. Well, it will really be interesting to see uh, what the relationships develop uh, in the Security Council and especially if Marine Le Pen becomes uh, the next president of France. Uh, that also is going to affect the dynamics on the Security Council. And we have seen, uh, as you allude to, a Donald Trump who's been very warm toward Putin and Russia and very uh, critical of China uh, and suggesting that the United States needs to take a tougher line on China. So we could see a different coalition dynamic in the Security Council. And then there's also the G7, G8. You know, Russia was kicked out of the G8 when we went back to a G7. Uh, I could imagine uh, Donald Trump uh, thinking that the Russia should be brought in again if Le Pen is there. Uh, then you're going to see, you know, Chancellor Merkel and uh, and Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau uh, sort of looking uh, in wonder uh, at what we've got in the United States, France, and Russia. So uh, we could see a pretty topsy turvy uh, international world. Uh, after January 20th. So if you're someone who has been sort of very critical of, of U.S. foreign policy, U.S. interventionism, particularly in the Middle East, wouldn't this sort of new alliance um, be something that you can take some solace in, that the U.S. will be less likely to be adventurous to, to invade and occupy countries in the in the Middle East um, or elsewhere? Um you know, if 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 sort of that kind of Russian model holds, where you know countries are just only exclusively pursuing their own interests without any sort of broader um, adherence to any sort of liberal international order. Well, recall that Russia itself militarily intervened in Syria and continues to do so. So I think that what countries will come to expect is the United States is not going to intervene for purposes of humanitarian intervention to protect populations. It's not going to do something like the intervention in Kosovo. It's not going to do something like the intervention in Libya. Uh, so I think regimes uh, that suppress their populations uh, will feel much more uh, freedom to do so and won't worry about the United States intervening. Uh, the real question is going to be, what does the fight against ISIS look like? If, if the battle against ISIS is the defining central feature of the Trump foreign policy. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to go after ISIS? Uh, what kind of interventions might be necessary? Uh, because uh, he's talked about it in military terms. So I think we can expect uh, a military engagement there, but it's just, it's a different type of 
foreign policy, it's it's really based on that particular threat alone and not the broader values that the United States has infused its foreign policy with uh, since the end of the Second World War. I guess finally, um, on, on Vladimir Putin himself, how long do you expect him to, to stay in power? I mean, it seems that this kind of assertive Russian foreign policy is built very much around him personally. Um, and so it seems that to the extent that he's in power, Russia will sort of pursue these kind of expansionist policies. Well, I would think he'd be feeling rejuvenated right now. So, you know, if he'd been uh, if he'd been sort of thinking at all about uh, a successor, uh, he probably isn't doing that any longer. And, uh, you know, we we have for long expected him to serve out uh, another term, taking him to 2024. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he knew all along he would outlast President Obama. He may well outlast uh, President Donald Trump. So uh, I think we should expect 2024. And, uh, you know, given Putin's past, I, I don't know why we would expect him ever to step down. So, you know, especially uh, if the coming years are good to him. Uh, all right. Well, Dean, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you all for listening. May have one more show for you before the end of the year. Not entirely sure. It kind of depends on how this interview I am supposed to conduct later today goes. So stay tuned for that. If not, I will see you in the new year recharged and ready to do my job even better, even more determined uh, than I have been in the past, because really now more than ever, as you know, I think you probably will have gleaned from now from both this conversation with, with James and also my own editorializing and other conversations I've had with people since the election, that one of the great certainties of the near future is that uncertainty will rule the day, that the unpredictability of Trump's foreign policy will be the single most important defining feature of global affairs in the near term. Uh, And that requires explanation, understanding, and deeper dives like the ones we take here on Global Dispatches. All right. Thank you guys so much. Would be remiss if I did not ask you to support the show via the link on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Either way, have a great new year and happy holidays, and we'll see you soon.